This podcast is a meme of the Agora Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Why Though, a personal journey through my record collection. This is the show that asks that most important of all questions, why is this record in my collection, and is it any good? My name is Benjamin Jacobs, the confused owner of the records and host of the show. As many of you know, I am also the host of Wittenberg to Westphalia, Wars of the Reformation, a podcast about history. And I'm Roberto, the host of the History of Sacramento, Georgia, and Czar Power. The former is a deep dive into the history of the not-often-known Caucasus nation of Georgia, not the state. The latter is a Rexipod that reviews and ranks all the Russian rulers from Rurik to Putin. I say they're pretty fun, and we get into some fun topics covering murder more murder, and even more murder, all tops the fud hat of religion, and then the altogether famous religion of Sovietism. However, I do really appreciate music and appreciate Ben's musical choices, sometimes. But that's not a reaction for the album. He got our Discord server stuck on the Eurotrash, I mean, a Eurodance kick, and Numa Numa was stuck in my head for days. Did it make you blue? Ah, if I were dabba dee dabba die. (laughs) This is episode 14. Hot by the Squirrel Nut Zippers. And also 1X by Three Days Grace. Part 1. Wait, part (laughs) 1? Obviously, in today's episodes, we are going to do something different. That's absolutely right, Ben. We're doing a, a crossover episode today to promote our shows. This involves Ben and I exchanging albums to listen to, And I have to suffer through, I mean, enjoy Ben's album of choice. That's right, Roberto. And you're in for a doozy. Now, we traded these albums digitally, so we need to tweak the usual format of my show a little bit. For those unfamiliar, usually I start by discussing where I got the album. I give a history of the band up to the album. Then I discuss the album from an aesthetic standpoint, including the album art. And then conclude with the rest of their career and then reflections on the entire story. Today, the Send-Or will be discussing how they got the album and describe the album art, and then leave researching the band and describing the music to the unfortunate recipient. Wait, what? This is more work than I signed up for. It sounds like this will take months for me to complete. (laughs) That's right. Because it did. (laughs) Our (laughs) Our intention with this originally was to do sort of two shorter episodes, and then mush them together. But inevitably, we, by which I mean me, produced full episode levels of material, and so we will be splitting this in two for your listening pleasure. Remember, audience, there are plentiful links in the show notes if you want to listen along. And with that, let me kick us off by reminiscing how I acquired Hot by Squirrel Nut Zippers. Now then, this album came out in 1996, and I remember it like it was yesterday which is to say, due to a combination of stress and the ravages of time, I do not really remember buying this album at all, nor what happened to me yesterday. Reality is just a long march full of events that I play-act my way through in an inevitable progression towards the grave. I do know that I heard the single on the radio and purchased it after that. Given the timing and context, I probably got this at CD World, which was a very good local music chain that has unfortunately now passed to the West. It was a nice place, really low-key. Unlike most corporate stores, it never had any pretension of being cool. It was just a place with CDs in it. The walls were the same gray-blue as the thin pile carpeting. The guy who was there most afternoons was dating a friend of mine. He seemed nice, but we never really talked. 
I will return in a few minutes to describe the album art, but for now I will hand this off to Roberto, who will be telling us how he purchased One X by Three Days Grace. Alrighty. Well, I got this album all the way back in 2007. I know it doesn't seem like that was that long ago, but it was almost a decade and a half ago. And this all started by hearing Three Days Grace's breakout single, I Hate Everything About You, on the school bus on the way to middle school. Yes, I know I'm making you feel old now, Ben. (laughs) Anyways, I really didn't have much exposure to music at the time, and coming from a Latine background, I was only exposed to mm, the Spanish radio stations and whatever idiotic pop songs came on the bus. However, I had a cool bus driver that liked the rock station and had that song on, and I fell completely in love. I found out the name of the band through the nifty help of YouTube and started listening to it. The song, Animal I Have Become, that's on the One Axed album, was also released as a single, and I knew I needed the CD to play on my CD player. So, I worked a few household chores here and there to save up the 26 bucks I needed to buy both albums from Best Buy because I was a middle schooler and didn't know any better, um, and happily got the album to essentially listen to the point of scratching the discs to smithereens and now making it unplayable, but I still own the CD. Um, I also have two the next two albums signed by the band because I am a major fanboy for the original lineup, but that's getting too much into band's history, which is technically Ben's job to cover. Anyway, everything up to 2013 for the band lives about pretty much rent-free in my brain. And I can tell you the track numbers and albums off the top of my head. But um, since Ben, you don't know the rest of the albums too well, you don't get to test it. Great. Now, since I kicked us off, why don't we switch and why don't you tell us about the physical album since we're talking about it already? Well, the One X album is a CD with a black background that has a blood splotch on the top left corner with seven connecting stick figure men that all have a red check mark on them, save for the second from the right that has an X. Now, I guess you can guess where the one X comes from for the album. Um, the back side of the album has a picture of the band in black and white in a tunnel. In the back standing is Barry Stock, who's the lead guitarist, and in front of him, crouching from left to right, is Brad Walsh, the bass guitarist, Adam Gontier, lead singer of the, at the time and rhythm guitarist, and, of course, Neil Sanderson, the drummer and keyboardist. Inside the CD case where the CD goes is a picture of a red of a couple of redfish with a single black one in the middle, and the booklet inside contains the lyrics of the songs with other pictures associated with the Wanax theme. The CD itself is red and black and has the same stick figures in a circle around the CD. This time, they're in black, and they do not have X's on them. Um... As you can tell, I was uh, going through a phase when I got this album, and it hit that phase right perfectly as I got to it. Of course. Everyone remembers that first album or albums that they got. I definitely do. I remember it vividly because I'm holding it. It's right next to me right now. So, <laughs> All right, now it's my turn to talk about the physical copy of Hot by the Squirrelnut Zippers. I must admit up front that my copy of this CD was at time of writing, uh, still buried in the box reefs that define the navigational environment of my basement. And even before the flooding, it has been maybe a few years since I listened to the physical CD itself, as opposed to my digital copy. Nonetheless, I remember one major thing about this album. 
uh, and I've confirmed this subsequently by finding the album at the bottom of a stack of boxes, this album was one of the first that I ever purchased that had a cardboard jewel case. Now, let me explain. For those of you who have not yet forayed into the joys of physical media or who didn't really pay attention, a jewel case is a three-part injected polystyrene construction made to hold and protect CDs and their liner notes. Apparently designed by Peter Dudson, uh, yes, that's his name, Peter Dudson, uh, about whom I know nothing, the design was standardized by CD producer Philips in 1982 and has basically dominated the industry of CD storage ever since that time due to it being cheap to produce, providing a good hold on the CD, and being relatively durable. The three parts are a tray with a 12-prong detent that holds the CD from the inside of the central hole. The tray snaps into a backplate with room for a three-sided paper sheet that generally gives a track listing on the back and says the name of the band and the album on the thinner left and right sides of the CD box. The top and bottom of the box are knurled for an easier grip. The final piece is the front door piece, which is arguably the weakest link in the system. It clips to the backplate via two hinge flaps, which are generally the first part of the box to break. Luckily, there are detents to, that hold the front in place even without the hinges. The front door has tabs that will loosely hold a booklet in place, which is where you store the liner notes proper. This standard design is in many ways genius, and like many genius pieces of design, you can tell because everyone took it for granted until some bright spark developed an alternative called the Digipack. The Digipack retains the polystyrene tray with the spindle detent of the jewel case, but unlike the original article, in this case the tray is glued to a cardboard booklet. There are a wide variety of variations in terms of the number of segments and accoutrement in the booklet, but in this case the setup is fairly simple, with two panels and a pocket into which the liner notes can be inserted. The main album information in terms of the front and back cover art and the side panel information are just printed directly on the cardboard. Um, so is this like the, you say it's a cardboard booklet, but it sounds like it's like one of those, like the, like the is it like the, what is like the plastic cover at all? Or is it just straight cardboard that holds it so all together? So just straight cardboard. I'm actually holding it up to the camera now so we can both see. But yeah, you see, this okay. is the plastic tray uh, that holds the CD, but oh, okay, the rest of this yeah. is just cardboard. Um Okay, I have right. one of those albums kind of like that then. I was just confused. I was like. It sounds like you're talking about the plastic one, but no, it's it's a, yeah. the cardboard so one. So this is one of the first card, uh, major releases of cardboard uh, album covers for CDs uh, that was out there. Um, and this design is called a digipack. The other ones are properly called jewel cases. But jewel case also kind of became the standard term of art, or like the generic term for a thing that contains a CD for a while. So it's uh, it's easy to get confused. Okay, so what are the advantages for a digipack? The advantage, thank you for asking. The advantages of the digipack are twofold, <laughs> pun intended. First, it's potentially even cheaper than the traditional jewel case because it's just paper. Second, the cardboard folding panel is potentially more durable than the flimsy polystyrene hinges. This has definitely been my experience, as digipacks from high school remain in very good condition, like this CD, while jewel cases have long since been replaced. On the other hand, the polystyrene case is standardized, which makes it effectively modular. If the case is severely damaged, uh, I can just swap out the parts and not really damage the album's authenticity all that much. When I say that I've replaced the cases for all these 
records from high school, I didn't buy a new album. I just got a different jewel case and put all the paper into the new uh, into the new jewel case uh, and the CD, of course. Yeah, cause that's what I was thinking about the jewel cases because when I was thinking about the plastic one, I think I got confused between the digipack and yeah. the jewel case. And it's like, oh no, the jewel case—that's the one I can re- replace things for. Except that one—that's the one right. I was thinking is like, it is a plastic one. Yeah, I—they've broken for me so yeah. often. I've just bought like the really crappy ones and just replaced them. Yeah, all the I've time. got a spa- I've got—I've still got a pack, uh, like a stack of spare ones that I have continued bothering to move around because it's just like, well, when I, and when the other ones break, I'll just swap them in. So. On the, on the other hand, um, while digipacks take less damage, if severe damage does occur, it can be nearly impossible to repair the album without repurchasing it. For example, if your, say, curious toddler gets a hold of your digipack copy of the first Arcade Fire EP and rips the cover off in a show of youthful joy de vivre, you are basically up shit creek. There's no replacing it. You have to just buy a new one. Anyway, Hot was, I believe, the first album I owned to have Digipack packaging, and as such, I thought it was really cool at the time. Beyond being a new thing, the design in this case is very on-brand. In line with the old-timey theming of the album, Yellow Mart is themed around being something of a scrapbook. The front and back covers show a Reconstruction-era southern industrial building, presumably a factory, in the context of what looks like an old advertisement for possibly patent medicine or an industrial food product, like a candy. The track listing on the back is presented similarly to a list of ingredients. Inside, the front leaf of the digipack is a photograph of Mathis and Whalen posed in what I can best describe as a faux-colonialist orientalizing old-timey photograph. They are dressed in traditional Mandarin attire. Mathis is seated on a wicker chair, and Whalen is seated somewhat seductively on the floor. Both of them are dangling their feet in a koi pond, and there are palm trees behind them in front of a window. It is aged to look like it is a colorized black-and-white photo from the 20s, and the photo would be in line with the kind of pictures fashionable wealthy people would have taken, regardless of location, in that time period. Below the photograph is a bunch of legal and technobabble describing the contents of the included CD-ROM material because, yes, not only was this one of the first albums to have a digipack, this was also one of the first albums to have the uh, enhanced CD gimmick included. Again, for you younger folks out there, one of the ways record companies tried to incentivize buying compact discs over vinyl or piracy was to include material on the disc that you could access on your computer. It wouldn't play in a CD player, of course, but if you popped it into the CD or DVD drive of your Windows 3.1 or later computer, it would autoplay a primitive DVD startup screen, and then you could look at something. Obviously, it wasn't much because they had to leave room on the disc for audio file formats, which takes up a lot of space, but it was something. Hot was one of the first albums to have this kind of digital enhancement, and it was used to show an interactive documentary called Musical Candy, created by the local documentarian Clay Walker, who followed the band around for about a year before they made it. This makes the enhancement of Hot one of the few times that a genuinely interesting piece of material was included in the CD enhancement. Usually it's just photographs of the band or something links to the website. Now, as I said earlier, I still can't find my copy of Hot, despite several days of going through boxes, but I did look up Musical Candy on Vimeo. You can find the link in the show notes. I'll reserve my judgment of the documentary because my views are colored by some stuff that I believe Roberto has yet to cover. 
I will say that it does a good job of being in line with the larger theming of the album and capturing the spirit and energy of the band at that moment, just before Hot went crazy. I don't know if I'm losing anything by not having it being an interactive documentary. I suspect not. The interactive elements of these things were often a bit overblown at the time. But then again, I am deeply cynical. Most CD enhancements turned out to be pretty shallow gimmicks, and this one seems to be well-regarded, even if it was sort of already done for other reasons ahead of time. Yeah, I did watch the Musical Candy documentary, and I'll talk a bit more about it, but this does remind me, the the whole CD-ROM interactive thing does remind me of just, like, the albums my mom would used to have for when she bought CDs, um, and I would just, like, you go on the, the really bad, like, Dell computer that did the <laughs> thing to load up, and just, like, play, like, Shakira, or... Um, Britney Spears, because that's our Backstreet Boys, because that's what my house had. Um, and I was like, "Oh, this is cool! I get to see all these like singers do their pictures and stuff like that." But like the fact that Hot had an actual documentary yeah. on it was like, "Whoa, that's a lot of memory." I will say that this. the the articles that I saw on it said that it was portions of the documentary. I. Uh, <laughs> split between oh, okay. hot and uh the next album but um so that so the other thing to say i was going to do this as a podcast footnote in the script but um i'll just say it since we're talking uh i have since like i said found the album and attempted to play it and it will not run in a modern computer uh you have to get like an emulator a windows 3.1 emulator and uh and run it that way and uh while that might have been interesting i really didn't feel like putting in that level of work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. And uh, I'm sorry for uh, killing your podcast footnote right there. I don't know how much you like those. <laughs> that said, let's get into the liner notes. If you pull the booklet of notes from the DigiPack and begin to go through them, you'll find more of the same kind of themed photographs as we just encountered inside in the outer part of the DigiPack. Artfully posed pictures of Waylon in 1920s haircuts, looking out windows, the band posed together in outfits, various visual depictions of Southern Gothic. This is all very much in line with the concept of the art and the album as a whole, and I very much appreciate it. It's all very artful, playful, and satisfying. Except there's no lyrics sheets, so some schmuck at the record company or in the band management decided to pay money to put together this whole booklet of photographs and not include lyrics. That's really annoying. Yeah, that was, it's very annoying when you buy the CD, it's expensive, and you're like, oh, where's the lyrics at? Of course, now you can just look everything up online, but even then, it's like the, those sites are just never accurate. So I mean, Google is now because <laughs> of acquisitioning everything. Yeah. So with those kinds of sites, this kind of thing is less critical, but I, I really dock points for this kind of thing, and it's a shame because... This is an album package that has a lot to say about this record, good and unfortunately bad. They were going out of their way to be unique, and someone involved in the creation of this album got the vibe and really worked hard to create a unified vision with this packaging. There's an art here, an effort. However, it's also understood by someone involved in the production that this band is going to be seen as a gimmick by the wider audience they are marketing to, and so every weird trick they had on their desk was thrown at it, from the digipack to the digital enhancements of the CD. And no one in this process took the time to provide basic amenities that make things function smoothly, like liner notes, possibly because they didn't think anyone was going to be interested in repeated listens. 
At the time, digipacks were a new and exciting thing. My feelings on them have evolved somewhat. In the aughts, they became really common, to the point that I am not sure if my modern CD purchases are more likely to have a true jewel case or a digipack. At some point, I started seeing them as evidence that the record company was cheaping out on the physical media release, since often the modern digipacks don't even have the little pocket with liner notes. But honestly, that whole thing depends, and I'm kind of swinging back to being a bit of a jewel case agnostic. To sum all this up, there's a lot to like about the physical album Hot. It is clear that the people involved in the production had a genuine artistic vision, and they created an object that was very much more than the sum of its parts. That vision could be accused of nostalgia, as it is very much based on the aesthetics of 1920s-era jazz. At the same time, it feels like everything new and exciting that could be thrown at this album was thrown at it, from the digipack packaging to the CD enhancement, and they were not necessarily there as gimmicks. Some, some level of effort actually went into making them as went into the music. The end result could probably be called retro chic or jazz punk or something catchy that someone else will probably need to come up with. The artistic vision being presented isn't merely rehashing the past, it's wearing it like an outfit at a Ren fair and using it to serve its own artistic ends. What those ends are, I will leave for Roberto to discuss next time, as I think that's enough for us today. I guess we will do that next time, and I can't wait to go through and berate this whole album or you know give it good things because i've totally listened to it absolutely (laughs) of course (laughs) i have listened to it but i i'll I'll give you my thoughts next episode and with that i'll just say thank you roberto for doing this with me and thank you all for listening and i will give you my sincerest hope that you all find the answers you seek in your record collection and i hope you enjoy part of my record collection (laughs) 